0: Max, the one to watch for the best in entertainment, now has live sports with the Bleacher Report Sports add-on. Stream hundreds of select live games from MLB, That's gonna go. Go! NBA, NHL, U.S. Soccer, and NCAA Men's Mark saw! It and it's all included for a limited time with any Max subscription. He got it. After the promo period, add it for $9.99 a month. Base subscription required. The first time you saw that actor, it was a period drama. And what a handsome mustache that was. Then in that spaghetti western, it was even longer. And wow, that handlebar style really got you into police dramas. Hang on, are you sure that was the same actor? Hmm, still enjoyed it. On Tubi, the things you love just keep going. Dab the banner to watch now.
1: You are now listening to Femme Regard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina
0: Alvarez. Mmm. Femme. Hi, Geekscapists. The Geekscape podfather, Jonathan, here. In May, we lost one of our own, longtime Geekscapist Christopher Ellis, who was a friend and a part of our geek community from the very beginning. Chris even met his wife, Sarah, through our podcast, and their 2015 wedding seemed like a giant Geekscape party. Chris's final weeks battling in the hospital shed light on a huge national problem. The COVID pandemic has almost completely depleted our national and local blood banks. These supplies are used by thousands of hospitals to provide life-saving treatments to patients or to buy enough time for loved ones just to say goodbye. So for the next month and beyond, we're going to do it big in Chris's memory and do some good in the process. We're throwing a blood drive. Visit www.aabb.org to find a donation center near you or visit other blood and platelet donation centers like the Red Cross. And let's make things interesting. For the next month, take a selfie of yourself donating with the hashtag GeekscapeGives and tag your favorite Geekscape podcast. We'll pick some charitable Geekscapists to send prizes to, and the podcast that gets mentioned the most will also get some cool rewards. I should actually cancel the podcast that gets mentioned the least. Can I do that? Whatever. The point is, go out there and donate some blood, tag a selfie of yourself doing it with the hashtag GeekscapeGives, and get others to do the same. We couldn't save our friend Chris, but we can do a whole lot of good in his name. Geekscape forever!
1: Hey fam fam.
0: We whoa, whoa. are back
1: with another fantastic episode for you. Um I'm really so far kind of excited about this season. Whether you started at the first episode of this season or you're just tuning in now for the first time. We've got some new- unique stuff this season so far. Like yes. we had our episode where we talked about our film specifically. Um, we had sound engineer and today we're going to bring you a showrunner. These are all positions that we've like never really talked about before on the show. So that's pretty cool. Um, yes. but today's guest is Misha Calvert. She is a showrunner and she, uh, the most recent project that she has come out with is called strut, which is. Like, I'm so excited to watch the rest of it. We just kind of watched a little preview of it, but I'm going to go binge the whole thing because it sounds Same. awesome. And we'll let her, you know, talk about it in the episode. But it is on Reverie TV, which she will also talk a little bit more about how to access that. But it is a queer network. Um, so the, all the topics that the show covers and that this network cares about and stuff is super important stuff that we're going to get into this episode Um So it was really cool to hear about like, the business side, like what a showrunner does, how you become a showrunner, that sort of thing. But then to also really get into the meat and potatoes of the issues—a very complex. <laughs> but I love that.
2: Yeah, Misha was so great. We we just love getting amazing guests from people who tune into our show or find yeah. us. We are not shy to connect with you. We want to build a community that is supportive, and that is what the Fem Fam is all about. Yes, because we cute like that. But also we <laughs> we do business, and we we want to. Co- Form this community, so yeah. we're really, really glad that for all of you who have been tuning in, don't forget to rate
1: us if you like us. You know, on like literally apple. when we say that, like I'm not kidding. DM us about something on the episode. I can't tell you how many podcasts I listen to that I like. Feel like I know the hosts, and there's so mm-hmm. many they'll say something and I'll be like, "Oh my god, me too!" And I want to just like message them, and I'm like, "Is that annoying? Is that like because I'm not really like <laughs> bringing anything to the table? It's not annoying. We love it. Like <laughs> do it." <laughs>
2: show running um want to hear how you define it and like that role and about your show because it's we got to see um the Mm -hmm. teaser and it looks really good and it's funny and I love what you're doing with it the characters all of that
3: a showrunner is the typically the biggest boss on set they run the show and as such they're responsible for knowing The entire world of the show, Mm -hmm. all of the characters, the current season, the future seasons, uh, in addition to some of the more nitty gritty about crew and, you know, cast hiring. So a lot of things get filtered up to them and then they Mm -hmm. process, you know, looking at the macro picture and then they'll make decisions down from there. Now, they're not always the top top you know obviously the bigger you go you have whole studios that you have to answer to and networks that you have to answer to so um the showrunner is more in charge of the production than you know they they don't get to green light things but um you can have showrunners that are quite established like ryan murphy shonda rhimes uh greg berlanti you know really powerhouse showrunners and then at my level I'm i've not been doing this very long only five years so I've been showrunner on five series so far and they're digital. And as it happens, I am the sort of the biggest boss, but that's because, yeah. you know, until now we, I haven't really had networks to answer to. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And what's kind of big differences that you see a for the show itself and B for the showrunner position on like television series versus digital series, because so many things are going digital now, like a web series used to be such a, you know, oh, it's just a web series, little thing, whatever. And like web series are huge now, you know, you can have a viral famous web series with a giant following. So what's, are there a lot of major differences in those worlds?
3: Yeah. The more zeros on the end of that budget, the more pressure. So a digital series you can make for um, these days, two or three figures, but Mm -hmm television series proper and that includes streaming platforms that the mainstreamers you could be uh certainly in the six figures per episode so uh the more money is at stake the more pressure the more responsibility the more power and generally the more hair you're gonna lose on set with yeah all <laughs> <of this drama. laughs>
2: yeah so misha why do you love it like what brought you into this world and is it yeah, why? why? <laughs> what do you love about
3: it? <laughs> I'm a, the kind of person who loves power, but I also love responsibility. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because there's a lot of people in Hollywood who love power, not that many who love responsibility and and not that many who yeah. love uh, what it means to respect, the hiring process and the, the curation of uh, an idea from its conception all the way through to, you know, you really have to be, I I treat my shows like I treat my relationships. I try to stay really grounded, uh, dedicated, loyal. I see things through. I honor my word. I, I never try to be dishonest in my approach. And I just find that that saves a lot of trouble because you know enough about film a TV to know there's some real wild folks out there with some strong personalities. And so I love being the person who can make sure that the folks who are hired to come on set or to work on the creative team are not only extraordinary at what they do, but they're really good people. Mm -hmm. It's just the best Mm -hmm. way to to have quality control over a project. Yeah. And I'm not afraid of hard work and I'm not afraid of, being the the face of something, you know, if things go, if things go wrong, when things go wrong, (laughs) I'm not afraid to be the one to step up and say, hey, my show, my fault, my, you know, my problem really, uh, and then try and fix things from there.
1: Yeah, that's so important because like, like I'm, I'm a very type A person. I feel like if I see something going wrong, like I I have to be on it to fix it. I have to, like, I have to be in control and I don't even like to be in control, <laughs> but like, I, I can see the problems and I, I know how to fix it. And I know like, you know, that's just the kind of person that I am. But I think it's so important that you added that, like, you like to be in control, but you like the responsibility because like you said, not everybody does. Everybody wants to be, you know, the big boss and not everybody wants to take the responsibility that comes along with it and I know for me and Carolina when we started our production company that was one of the reasons we even got together is because both of us are people that follow through with things and we saw that you know actually working together we saw that being the case Um, and so that's very important to us so I like that you mentioned that and that that's a reason that you love what you do you know and it's not just like a something that goes along with the job like that's part of why you love it
3: yeah I I It's really important when I see people who aren't maybe going to be as committed, I like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing more frustrating than being on a set and giving it your all. Like I've, I've say this as someone who has been on sets that weren't mine a lot of the time, especially when I was younger and, and you're like there, you're ready to work. You're ready to, to give it a hundred percent. And then you look up and you see somebody not giving a damn, and that's yeah. so discouraging. So I, I really try and make sure that everyone is there doing their best, giving their best, and giving them a reason to care because the the premises of the shows that I work on and create are, they're not just entertaining, they're also moving the needle on social issues. And they're, So I think they're important. And I try yeah. to find people who have the same values as I do.
1: Yeah, I love that too. That's another thing that's I so... That. Um, It's more prevalent nowadays, which is amazing because we're having the conversations that we need to be having and stuff, you know, but sometimes I feel like people, like for an example, it's Pride Month right now, right? And a lot of big companies are just kind of throwing rainbows on things, you know, and it's like. They're just doing that to, to play into it, quote unquote, you know, so for somebody that really cares about the issues to be creating things that are talking about these issues and all of that, like, it's just, it's so important for
3: sure. Yeah, absolutely. And people don't realize maybe that I'm also queer, like I don't really mm-hmm. talk about that a lot. I mean, I technically am. I, I like forget most of the time, frankly, <laughs> it's it's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to have to like say that in the month of June for people to care about a show about women. Sorry, yes. you should care anyway.
2: Amen. I love that. But
3: I'll do what I gotta do. Yeah. I'll wear a fucking rainbow if I have to.
1: <laughs> yeah no that's so true it's like you you shouldn't have to say you know like if you're creating a series about like if two women are in a relationship and they're the lead or whatever like it shouldn't really matter even what you are but if that's going to start the conversation like hey by the way I'm also you know I wrote it and I'm queer like whatever gets people talking I guess as long as it's coming from you know a genuine place yeah
3: absolutely yeah
1: yeah
2: No, and I I think we just had a a conversation with someone in sound and it just sounds like no matter who you hire on a project, it's so important to have those initial conversations. I just had one the other day and yeah, the the producer asked, like, why do you even care to join our project? And it's for something low budget, small, um, a small role project manager. But I still feel like that is such a good way to start off like the conversation and and it's an important one to have. So, you know, who's working for you and why we should care. Like the sound guy wants to feel like he's, he's a part of that team. So he does give a damn on mm-hmm. the day of set. So I just, it's so cool to like hear the, someone who's even all the way up there. Like that's, that's what matters. And that's the big picture that you're seeing and, and managing all those different departments that everyone cares about the same yeah. thing. So um, talk to us about your sets. Like, Is it, um, because you said you're not in the big studio, but what's production like for you at your stage?
3: (sighs) For me, I start to lose my mind about a month out. I get completely obsessed (laughs) and uh, panicky, you know, starting like Mm -hmm. about a month. And then uh, they always say pre is free, pre-production. So Mm -hmm. I try to embody that and always fail to make the best of reproduction because really the closer you get to day one of photography the faster you go and the more efficient you get so nevertheless right. I'm I always end up doing a lot of producing like whether I'm directing or not uh, or starring or not I always end up doing quite a lot of the making sure that you know the locations are what we need and the the crew hires are what we need and the department heads are people that I that I need to sign off on. And, um, you know, alongside script development, like basically every single facet of what the production is going to entail, I will have a hand in, in that time leading up to production. And then I remember like for All Hail Beth, which is another series that I made for Brick TV, we, I was doing all of this, work and I was directing it and producing it helping produce with the other others and uh and then a day and a half before we were going to film we had one of our lead actors drop out and I had to completely and she was um she had to be an older Iranian American woman
1: very specific yeah
3: and yes and so I spent about a half day <sighs> looking for a replacement everyone was booked because we were shooting in two days and then we called it and we were like we're not gonna find anyone, no one that we can afford and so I just rewrote the entire script for a younger Iranian American woman and changed it from the mom (laughs) to the sister so like script stuff comes up as well and if you know most of the shows that I do I've written it as well and it's it's just mania it's it's just chaos (laughs) yeah
2: it's it's constant editing I hear like from what I hear it's like you're always on the edit and you have to be quick yeah yeah and in
3: television too like showrunners will be doing that you know rewriting entire scenes on the day or you know just extraordinary things happen And, and the the bigger up you get it's not like it gets easier Right. The more money the more problems, as someone once yeah. said. <laughs> but it's fun. It's just well, it's, yeah, because- it's really just it's so enjoyable though, because if you can bring on the right team, then you have that support system so that when the SHIT hits the fan, you have people there who can jump in. And as long I like to, to be like Obama and you know, he just hired people that were smarter than him for the positions all around him. That's what he'd like to say. He yeah. said I would I'll hire I want to hire people who are smarter than me. So I try to do that with the the departments as well.
1: Yeah. Smart. I feel like that's that's what I want. <laughs> you know, any any set that I'm on in charge of like I just want to hire people that know all the shit that I don't know about their department, you know, because I want to say here's my vision, and then if they have questions, they can come to me and I can answer them. But I don't want to have to be looking over their shoulder. I don't want to micromanage. I want to be able to just trust them to work their magic, you know. And I, I think that's yeah, that's to me would be such a relief <laughs> on a set.
3: Yeah, and then once you get on set, yeah. uh, it's <laughs> it's more chaos <laughs> if yeah. you can get if you can get four hours sleep or more you should be good yeah. uh <laughs> oh so I, that's that's what my my favorite ad says his last words "It four hours or more um so as long as you can do that and then once you get there like and this is true of most directors i know most showrunners i know just the energy and the excitement and the vivacity of everyone once you get on set you can really ride that adrenaline you know for a good yeah. 12 or 14 hours if you have to um if you're in a long shoot right. like for strut we shot for six days mm-hmm. for all hail beth i think it was 10 you do have to be careful what you eat i i find to really try and sleep as much as possible at night and not go out partying or yeah. anything like that and then drink a lot of water you know try not to smoke a lot of cigarettes and just keep your physical health up because you're mm-hmm. in it for the long haul and like with a feature film that's maybe three months or more so right. you have to start to kind of balance uh and, and treat it more like a marathon Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause you can't afford to even catch a cold. That's going to have you out for a day. Like any one day matters
2: so (laughs) much. Yeah.
1: No, I love that. You,
2: you're, thank you for just being honest about what you have to like go through and, and yeah, the health aspect, I think we can all just be like, yeah, no sleep, but it's like, no, like you, you need to find a way to, to shut the phone off and like, (laughs) knockout. And that's something I've been struggling with and trying to like, get better at. Um, Because hormonally, as a woman, I have like, insomnia PMS. And like, and it's like, now I'm like, okay, now I know my dates. Like, if I have a shoot, like, I'm gonna have to figure it out. Because we need to, we need to like, be able to, like you said, endure those long hours. But I also love that you mentioned the uh, adrenaline rush, because I think we've all been on those sets too, where it's, it was a long day, but we just enjoyed it, that it just, it didn't mm-hmm. matter. Like it, it kind of just flew by and we were just in the process. We were in the zone. We were in our element, making it. Another happen. reason so I do love that. So you thank you. That Another
3: reason to hire really high quality energy people is because you're on set for so long. And if there's somebody with kind of negative energy it, it really, you can feel it, especially on indie sets which mm-hmm. are usually quite small. So I only yeah. try to hire people who are kind. It's one of the most important traits, yeah. I think, for an actor or for a crew member because I've I've hired a few people over the years who weren't kind or who had some sort of you know, mental illness or something. And of course, you don't realize it until it's too late. But it just really drains your energy. And you can yeah. go through... Get to 14 hours. And if everyone's positive and uplifted and excited, you're like, dang, I could go for 14 more, you know? But if you have that one person who's draining yeah. the energy, it can feel like a 24 hour day. Yeah, totally.
2: Well, because then it's not a, only a physical and mental like drainage, it's that emotional, like stressor that already, if you're an actor, you're dealing, I mean, any role you're dealing with the emotional stress of, okay, we're in it, we're bringing up or channeling that, but oh my God, that's just like an extra, think of it, an extra 50 pounds on, if you're lifting, think of it as an emotional drainage. So that's so true. I mean, any tips if you, I guess if you already signed someone on, you're you're stuck with
3: it. But is there any way to kinda you're not stuck with them? (laughs) No. That's an (laughs) illusion. That's false. Okay. Uh I say hire slow, fire fast. The times Mm -hmm. when I knew I should fire and I didn't fire quickly or at all, I really regretted it. And and that's just boundary work, right? And understanding where you are, what leverage you have, what you know, what the legal situation is if it if that's an, an issue. And then just getting over it, like getting over the embarrassment or the awkwardness of like, you have to be a business person about it. Like this isn't working. We will find somebody else and it's not, it's just not worth it. You know?
1: Yeah. I think that just you saying like the business side of it, like it's such a good reminder because I think, you know, film in, it's such a, it's any art is such like a personal, emotional thing. Right. So even though, like, if it's your creation, it's your baby, you have all everything invested in it, that doesn't mean everybody else does. And even if they're doing you favors, like, so they're invested in you because they're your friend or whatever, it's still, it's a job to them. When you're hiring on people, it's a job to them. And some people are going to be more emotionally invested, for sure. But you have to remember, like, this isn't everybody's baby. For some people, it is literally just a paycheck, you know, and you have to treat it as such. It is a business too. So yeah, just a yeah, good reminder of
3: that. Absolutely. And a lot of indie productions, especially in New York, you know, they they don't pay. Uh, some of the roles, the more creative ones, they won't pay at all. And a lot of indie yeah. productions, especially, you know, like when I was first starting out, uh, first time filmmakers, etc., they just don't have the money to pay very much. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember too, like don't get in the, mindset if you're the creator of Mm -hmm. these people are all doing me such a favor like of course they of course they are but also you are offering something to them and it's important if your project isn't good enough that they won't come out the other side proud able to use it to get more work able to put it on their reel or uh, send it to their agents and managers or whatever then why are you making it So Mm -hmm. first thing is quality control on the script side and making sure that it's going to be have the potential to be great and then making sure you're using the cameras and all of the gear and the locations. Great, great, great. Like, So you actually pivot the whole conversation from asking for handouts to offering opportunities to people. And that being said, on the other side, if you are not in a position to take low pay work don't take it. Don't Mm -hmm. take it and be resentful when you come on set, like know what it is, know what you're walking into, right? That, okay, Mm -hmm. this is low budget, but I'm going to give it as close as I can to, as if I were getting paid my normal rate because I'm doing it for XYZ reason. So I just think it's important to find people who get that and who aren't expecting it to be like, you know, a commercial shoot (laughs) or something where there's like, you know, just thousands and thousands of dollars for their department. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good reminder. And
2: I think just being upfront from the start about that helps mitigate those Mm -hmm. conversations. And, and then it doesn't feel like you're in this position of I'm only asking for favors here. It's like, no, we all are, you know, then understood like this is what I expect too. back like the, the roles and responsibilities. It's more clear. And less like, oh, help me, (laughs) like, you know, so I think I love that you kind of mentioned that because it puts you in a position again of like, okay, I am the boss, though, still like, I'm still trying to make this whole thing work. And we again, it's as you pointed out, like, we we get stuck, maybe if we're doing both the creative, like, just thinking creatively a lot, and then we have to remind ourselves this is also Mm -hmm. business and to merge the two. Yeah, and it
3: does get a little confusing in film and TV because there are people who are entirely dependent on their skill set, say, as a cinematographer, to survive. And so I totally understand, you know, feeling like maybe the market's getting diluted by people offering to work for free for certain positions, but they're really not comparable. Like the kind of set that's going to hire like a, you know, $800, 900 a day cinematographer is not the kind of set that's looking for, you know, friends or, you know, right. quote, free yeah. labor. But um, I think if you are starting out and you've never done this before, you know, I, I wouldn't go like spraying, hey, please free labor, like on all the message boards or whatever, but maybe go and set up a dozen coffee meetings with people and start to make friends. And make community, mm-hmm. and then once you feel like okay, I could call yeah. this person an acquaintance, then feel them out and, and in conversation, say, "Hey, would you want to come on set with me? I, I can only pay like a fifty dollars stipend or whatever, right?" But that yeah. sort of kills two birds with one stone because you know I, I do see in the forums people advertising for low budget and and they get flamed super hard sometimes. So it's just like <laughs> you want to be tactful <laughs> about the whole thing, yeah.
1: Yeah. Being tactful, being smart. smart, setting those boundaries and like just, yeah, being upfront about it. And yeah, just, it's so many little things to consider, but like once you've been doing this, even as long as we have, which is not that long, like we're not that experienced, but you, you learn these things and you figure out and it's, it's all just like, it's almost social cues, <laughs> you know, it, it's figuring out like what, people are generally willing to do what you can kind of get away with quote unquote, and, and what makes sense for everybody, you know, and it's, it's a learning process, but yeah, I think that you outlined it really well for people just starting out. Like that's the kind of mindset you have to get into. Yeah.
3: Community is so, so important. And it's so stressful being a showrunner or a a writer, director of a feature film, or, you know, it's just like mind bendingly stressful. So the more people you can have to, To sit down with and and vent or, you know, commiserate or help support you and celebrate you. It just really makes you feel like even on your down days, that you have a group of people rallying around you to to see it through. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, that's why people say like don't go into filmmaking, whatever aspect of it you go into, unless you can't see yourself doing anything else because like being on set is simultaneously the best day in the world and the worst day in the world. Like, you know, you love it so much and it is also so miserable. So, yeah, it's it's definitely something you have to love doing and you have to be dedicated to to make it through. What's surrounding yourself, like you said, with a support system is so helpful, so necessary. Are you a podcaster like us, vlogger, interview conductor? Do you need a VO booth or ADR? Remote audio-video professional recording?
2: Ooh, Tessa spilled the tea.
1: Well, the Network Studios in Culver City is a fully functional recording oasis. With multiple rooms made to cater specifically to audio podcasts, video interviews, and voiceover, plus an experienced sound engineer with the ability to edit and master, all your needs will be covered.
2: Audio engineer extraordinaire Mike Casentini has worked with several podcast heavy hitters and got us started from the ground up. He's the reason we sound so good. Plus, all of our in-studio guests have been very impressed.
1: To find out more, visit www.thenetworkstudios.com and book your next recording session. COVID compliant and open for business.
3: What is the indie scene like out in LA in terms of shooting your own work? How... How, what is that like? Is it easy, hard? What are the it Um
1: to? It's easy in the way of finding people to work with, I think, um, because, you know, everybody's out here to pursue that. So it's not difficult to find a team at whatever level you're at. You know, there's so many people at so many different levels. So that, I think, is a huge bonus of being located here. Where it gets difficult is everything is more expensive. So beyond just people's, like, day rates and stuff, like, locations are... Way more expensive than, I mean, even if you go, you know, outside of the 30 mile zone outside of LA, it's like half the price just for the location, you know, and then permits, you have to have a permit to be everywhere. So all those little things are like exponentially more expensive in LA. So that's kind of the pro and con, I think, of doing it right in the city. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I just want to add, like, because we've now had so many filmmaker, indie filmmakers on the show that aren't in Mm -hmm. LA, like a lot, like 90%. And it's been awesome. And to hear where everyone's at in different cities and really you can do this anywhere, which is so cool. But I think LA still has that unique, like visceral reaction amongst the filmmaking community. I sit down with um, filmmakers and for coffee and we just like, it's cool to be in a city that really loves Mm -hmm. this. Like we are, we all are here to do this and we want to make it happen. So that energy is, is just unique. And if you want to be anyone listening, want to be a part of that, that does exist here. And that's, what's really cool versus maybe in your hometown where you are the only filmmaker, passionate, trying to make it happen. Who are you going to have coffee with? You know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. So, I, that's another really great thing I love about the filmmaking community here in LA. It's like just yeah. out there. I don't know if, if that's out there in New York, but um, I've had some, I have a lot of hybrid filmmakers who from New York to LA and they say that they, they love both cities and LA definitely has that, that vibe
3: out here. The vibe. <laughs> that's up. cool. I, I don't like, I don't like paying for permits or locations. So maybe I'd better <laughs> stay in New York. Yeah. With
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: My friend is a a producer, and he recently moved from New York to LA, and and I was grilling him about the differences, mm-hmm. and and he was, was, something that I noticed too. He's like, LA people are very.
1: Serious. Oh
3: yeah. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, when you're on set, you know, you just, just they're sensitive, they're fragile.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is that is kind of true to some degree. Like, it is there's a very,
3: why? How? Why I don't is that know. true?
1: It's a I different.
2: Think, Well, we're both from, so just, sorry, but Tess and I are both from New York, um, East coast. I'm raised, born in Queens, raised in Jersey. She's from PA. That's why me and her fucking click because we were like, wow, we don't, I I was just telling her, we were just talking about, we're having a meeting today. And for the first time we considered getting drinks and maybe talking about our personal (laughs) lives, but me and her can, we don't need the chit chat. We can just like talk business and we don't have to like have this whole thing around it and I think when you come from that mentality I think back east we're just more like direct I think it's just that's just how it people are that's how community is out back east and in LA I mean commu- it's a big city like there are pockets of people from different it's just vastly different even in mm-hmm. LA from where you go and so there's not this like there's not a culture that's just singular in the way they speak, act, behave. And I think that, that really translates over to how communication is. I mean, I mean, we're on our phones 20, like oh, 90% of the time, like what is communication? I mean, I try to say hi and hello and especially someone serving me coffee. Like, let's have a little like, hello, thank you. Like you're a great person <laughs> for like, just like a little interaction. Um, My, my boyfriend makes fun of me because he'll be like, oh, she just makes friends with everyone. But I just love that, that sense of community. And like, just, but on set, it's like, I want to be that chill person, but I'm also going to be that direct person just so we get our shit done. You know, and so that's what I tell yeah. people out here. I'm like, I'm really chill and easygoing, but also I just, I want us to be able to talk about the issues and just yeah. get it figured out. And I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's just it's, the vibe.
3: It's telling, it's telling that the two New Yorkers were one of the first to respond to the podcast. Inquiries. Yeah. You ladies were on stage. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, hello. I mean, no, we loved that like even in in talks with your PR rep like, yeah she was quick to respond to us and I think that's something we always want to set a precedent with the people we talk about on our show is like we're gonna we're gonna try to give you all the information up front like we've gone and asked to be on shows <laughs> out here and they don't send any details and there's yeah like, that's another thing no follow-up yeah. like we're not gonna follow up to be on your show yeah like, that- You need to That's another (laughs) vibe that's very, like,
1: for some reason, California. And I think it's because just, like, the vibe, I guess, out here is just very more, like, slow, laid back, whatever. That people just, like, don't follow through with things. They're not on top of things. They don't give you all the details. Like, me and Caroline are so, like... We want to send out every detail you could possibly think to ask for. We want to send it out as early as we possibly can. And we want to follow up. Like, that's how we do business. And that's the kind of business that we appreciate in return. But it is not always the that's case out here. That's why she's not
2: No, it's so yeah. important. That is what, like, creates a marriage on set. So, yes. If, you know, you... but the beautiful thing is there are East coasters yeah. out here in LA from like your friend who just moved. I mean, I'm sure we would get along <laughs> instantly just cause you just, for some reason will gravitate to those people. I found that like all my friends out here from the East coast, now that I think about it, <laughs> like literally. So you just find those people. Yeah.
3: yeah. I've shot three things in New York so far this year during the pandemic wow. and, um, And it was with the right team. It was just incredibly easy. The first one was a full series, uh, six episode digital series, and and that was even before the vaccine was really widely available Mm -hmm. anywhere, Um, or maybe even approved. But the and that that was a little stressful because of you know SAG and their um, right stipulations about COVID are just very extensive. Yeah, but. After that one, once I got kind of used to the whole process, the other two were really quite easy. So I think anyone worried about shooting during COVID, if you have the right team and, you know, of course you have your CCOs and all that, it's really a non-issue, yeah. frankly.
2: Yeah, we had, a, we had two um, filmmakers come on the show and talk about their experience, but not in New York. I'm actually pretty shocked because of the way, you know, New York was hit very hard. Mm-hmm. So good for you for like.
3: <laughs> We're fine now, like literally, literally, it looks like spring break outside. Like no one <laughs> is, no one is wearing masks yeah. anymore. Like that, you know, I was at an event uh, recently and just like a lot of, Lots of people inside all yeah. together. So I guess we're back now. Yeah.
1: That's how it is out
3: here oh, now. Too. So
1: good to mm-hmm.
2: hear. So good to hear. New York is back. LA is back. Like we're yeah, same. So that's such a good thing to hear. Yeah. I want to circle out back and talk about Strut because same. this is another thing that's really important to hear why you created it, what it's about, and the platform it's on, where it's being distributed is really unique. I've I haven't heard about it before. So talk to us about your show.
3: Yeah, so it's on a network called Reverie TV, which is the first and largest queer network in the world. They've got an online base at reverie.tv, TV, mm-hmm. but they also license out to a lot of cable TV affiliates. Like they're using Directv and Comcast and AT and T and Roku and a bunch of places. So okay. I mean, literally, my show is now on television, which is cool. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, they, they have a lot of amazing content uh, from the queer community about the queer community. Wow. So I thought it was really cool that even though Strut only has one queer character, they wanted to work with me in part because I'm a queer creator. And, and they thought that the whole premise of Strut, which is these four best friends who start an escorting agency together that that would appeal to the the queer community and queer sensibilities which is so great because honestly a lot of networks that I pitched they were just like oh sex workers oh that's yes unique Uh Uh, (laughs) and just terrified I could see the terror in their eyes so um it, it was it was nice to feel like somebody was not afraid and just kind of got the whole the whole thing and and you know, it's a comedy. So we're dealing with sex work in a way that you don't typically see in mainstream film and television. You know, it's not some big taboo, freaky thing. It's not like sensationalized. Right. It's not, um, it's not even that sexy. It's just for normal women, like you, me, anybody, like sex work is really common and people don't know it because there are so many uh negative repercussions to being out as a sex worker like you'll get your social media shut down for a start like no questions asked So they'll just kill your entire presence online they'll sh- they can shut down your bank accounts they can kick you off of airbnb they can make sure that you like basically discrediting you on all these various platforms you know and so I really wanted to destigmatize sex work because especially with OnlyFans, like, mm-hmm. come on, people. It's 2021. Don't we have a few other things to worry about besides <laughs> making women feel bad about being sexy online? Like, right. come on. So yeah. I just wanted to to really normalize mm-hmm. this industry and help to give some power back to women. And of course there's many other sex workers who are men or or non-binary or trans, etc so and god bless them this show happens to center for women but the sex worker destigmatization extends to all because there's there's room for all and, and we're really like past the point where criminalizing sex work is at all acceptable yeah. in my opinion
1: yeah i think that's such an important conversation to have i mean i have a handful of friends that either are or were in sex work and it's yeah it's like they can't tell anybody about it. And it's so dumb because it's, it shouldn't be, I mean, uh, clearly they have clients, they have customers, like they're making money from it. Clearly people are using it as a service. So why are we so against it? It makes absolutely no sense. And it is just, it is so dumb. That's a whole other conversation, but I'm really glad that you are, um, centering on that and bringing up that conversation and doing it in, a comedic way, because, like you said, that's something that's not really seen a lot, you know, so giving a different like a different perspective to it and allowing people to view it in a different way,
2: I feel like it kind of humanizes all yeah like, to makes it more relatable, like it's not like th- these are like yes, it makes it feel more like the common man or women that you friend that you have like that could be doing it or it could be yeah. involved, you know? So I do I think comedy is really smart because it, it also just makes it feel like it's your friend um or someone that you could be close with. Yeah. You know?
3: And any any person, this is gender non-specific. Mm-hmm. Right. Any person who's ever gone out on a date and like let's say you're hot and your date is maybe not as hot as you mm-hmm. And you're like, well, they, they can pick up the tab, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're glad to be on a date with me. And I'm, you know, I'm, here I am showing myself in public with this person who's not hot. Uh-huh. And so they, yeah, pick up the tab, right? Like that is very relatable. I, I hope, I think. Yeah. Um. Well, how is that really different from just putting a price tag on it? Yeah. And saying, you want to have dinner with me? That's $500. Or you want to do do something else with me? That's X amount of dollars. Like, where's the line, you know? And so it came really out of a series that I made the year before called Textual Intercourse, which was about the intersection of, okay, originally it was called Tinder is the night. (laughs) Then Tinder threatened to sue me. Oh, no. So that was all about, you know, what is the the line between dating and transaction mm-hmm. because there's all these unspoken kind of barters and trades that go on within dating and especially like in big city dating mm-hmm. and in the early stages be- before it becomes like an intimate partnership sure. you know? but early stage dating is so transactional
2: a hundred percent and
3: I just <laughs> thought like, like well
2: yeah. Right. Of course. Like I have a European grandma. She's always like, the man's got to pay. Otherwise grandma would not approve. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Graham, I feel you. I'm with that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where does the
3: line, where, where do yeah. we draw the line? And, and um, I mean, my thoughts about the whole thing have evolved a lot in the, in the four years since I first wrote Strap. But I think at the end of the day, who is it hurting? And why do I care? Why do I care what somebody does for money if it's not hurting me, if it's not right. hurting other people? Right. Which I think Absolutely. also, you know, I
1: mean, that that covers sexuality in so many ways, you know, from actual sex work to even just like the talk about sexual orientation or uh, sexual identification, you know, what you identify as, like all of those things that are starting to become a little more normalized now. And I think in different cultures, like um, like out in LA, it's a pretty common thing for people to, you know, state what their pronouns are, for example, or whatever, but maybe not, you know, in the Midwest or with the newer like generation, millennials and stuff. I One of my friends is a teacher and she's a lesbian. And she said that, you know, she, somehow it came up in her high school class and almost all the kids were like, oh yeah, I'm bi. Like, that's, that's normal. And she was like, I if that could have been, you know, when I was in high school, it would have been insane. Um, So yeah, just normalizing all that stuff. It really gets the conversation going and hopefully makes a positive change.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, one of the, the reflex reactions to this show and, and to shows about female sexuality or even just centering a sexual female character Mm -hmm what happens is it really triggers people's shame, individual and collective sexual shame. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to be um, ignored, but it, it's also let's not confuse what's happening with you with uh, the series itself or the, mm-hmm. whatever the, mm-hmm. the character is or et cetera, that's triggering them. So, you know, you're free to have your, your response around sexuality, but like really that's shining a light on, your own issues <laughs> around sex or gender identity or whatever, you know, there's also a lot of internalized misogyny mm-hmm. in women and men, yeah, both. And uh, that's just something that we haven't really fully started to talk about yet. It was actually Black Lives Matter that was helped me to understand, you know, because they would talk about um, there's a lot of discussion about uh, internalized. Racism, like mm-hmm. black people internalizing racism, and and how that, what a insidious uh, effect that has, and and I that was what led me to realize, oh, all the times when I have internalized misogyny and against others and myself, yeah, and how I need to continuously work to reprogram that, yeah, to be more accepting and inclusive, not just so like my sexuality which this whole thing has been a journey of helping me to understand where I am in this whole spectrum Mm -hmm. and then just being more accepting of women in general and like you know why, why why am I so judgmental and like can I just be can I let others be and like let them you know like people are practically naked right now because it's summer and it's COVID and they're walking around like, that's okay. Let them be naked. So what? Yeah.
1: No, it's so, and that's so like, again, kind of speaking to the internalization of it and stuff too, like that's kind of the trend of fashion right now as well is like no bras are like a way bigger thing than they have been for decades, you know? And like, personally, sometimes I'll put things on and I'm like, is this okay to wear like or am I, I too old for this am I too whatever whatever and I'm like free the it. nipples sis. yeah who fucking
2: cares like yeah I'm yeah. all about it I am so here for it thank yeah. the lord seriously but I, I I'm so glad that you know I think just Nisha, well well said I'm like not the most eloquent person here on the. <laughs> But I I love that you broke that down because I I definitely was thinking about too, um, around the, yeah, the black lives matter movement about women's rights too. And like, we've all just, it's given us all a chance to, yeah, like reevaluate the way we think and like what, yeah, what social programs we have going on, you know, it can't, it's, it's not always our, our fault it's just how we were born and but it's our then job to kind of then do that deeper level of thinking and adjusting and changing and growing so
1: i think that's just so important i love that you said that thank you so before we wrap up um i want to so you mentioned um that your show's on reverie tv and you mentioned that a lot of um cable networks or not networks what's the word for that the affiliates. affiliates there we go <laughs> um have picked you up so everybody uh be on the lookout for that reverie.tv um you probably have it on your tv if you get if you have cable if you have roku um so that's one place to find your show but let our listeners know um can they just find it like also online and also where to find you your other work your social media anything like that that you would like to
3: share Awesome, yes, Strut is right now available for free on reverie.tv, so if you don't have TV, go just online and look it up and watch all six episodes. It's live, it's here, it's very funny. Uh, So that's Strut. (laughs) Me, you can find, my website is mishacalvere.com and I've got links to two other shows there that I've done uh, that are available now, Step Into My Office, Which is a dark comedy about um, sexual harassment, and then "All Hail Beth," which is a a magical realism show about a woman who becomes a Babylonian goddess. Nice. So those are both available. (laughs)
2: Love much, yes.
3: And I would love to hear from you on Instagram. So I answer DMs usually super fast. I'm at Misha Calvert on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, I love connecting on Instagram. That's kind of my home base. And yeah, if any of your listeners want to drop me a line, I'd love to chat.
1: That's awesome. Thank you yes. so much for making yourself available for that too. That's I think our listeners really appreciate that. And also thank you to, to uh, Jillian Roche, your PR who connected us. Um, she was awesome. So I just want to make sure we shout her out if we didn't already. Yeah,
2: she was, she was so great too. We love the, her message, the way she approached us. It's like, and we were just saying, you know, not everyone knows how to like, do
1: the whole like, do business. <laughs> do business.
2: Thank you. Yeah, do business. And she was amazing. So we we really loved and appreciated her messages and, and putting us in contact with you. We we live this is the community we bring and form on our show. So it's just I'll let amazing. her know. Yeah. Yes. Thank please. you. Yeah, she was great.
3: Well, lovely to meet you ladies. Thank you again. Maria. And I can't wait to hear the episode.
1: Thanks for listening to FemRegard Regard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can
2: only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFAM Fam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com.